As I want you to look again with me this morning, verse 18, you'll notice our Lord asked the disciples a pretty fascinating question. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? Now what's intriguing to me about this question is that the Lord Jesus already knew. He knew full well what other people thought about his personal identity. John 2.24 says that Jesus knew all men and needed not that any man should tell him. He knew what was in man. Always in Jesus' ministry, we are reminded that he knew the thoughts, the intents, and the motives of people's hearts. In fact, just before this particular text, when the disciples, the Bible says, quote, reasoned among themselves, they were whispering and thinking in their own hearts, the Bible immediately says Jesus perceived. He perceived what they said privately. So again, this is not a question of uh, a matter of the Lord Jesus lacking or needing some kind of information. What do the people say about me? It is instead a question that was designed to give the disciples some information. And that is exactly what it does. And in so doing, beloved, it also provides you and I today with some very powerful reminders about who determines somebody else's identity. You see, folks, when the disciples answered Jesus' question, he showed them that the people, who do people say that I am? He showed them that the people were wrong. They were wrong about God. They were wrong about God's prophets. They were wrong about God's people. And they were wrong about God's program. You know, we live in an age when the idea of stolen identities has become a major business. And that's why protecting your identity has become even a bigger business. In fact, LifeLock and Aura and all of these businesses who want to protect my identity have hacked into my identity to give me advertisements about protecting my identity. And there's a reason for that. But you know, I have to say, all of that is nothing when compared to what Satan wants to do and the theft that he is doing in people's lives. What Satan wanted to do, wants to do with Christ's identity and with yours. If the thief cometh not but to steal and to destroy, you can be sure, rest assured, that what he really wants to do is steal your identity. Destroy your identity in Jesus Christ. And for many of you in this room, he's doing it as we speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this this time, this hour that we've had and enjoy, Lord, in your presence. We need to hear from you today. We truly do, and I pray that we will in Jesus' name. Amen. In the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, it had been a busy time among the hills and among the valleys of northern Israel and beyond. There in the land of Gennesaret, in the town of Tyre and Sidon, along the shores of Galilee itself, the Lord Jesus had reproved a group of Pharisees for their hypocrisy. He delivered a girl of her demonic spirit, restored a deaf man's hearing. He fed a multitude of people of thousands with a few loaves and fishes. And then boarding a ship and sailing over to Dalmutia, he confronted the Pharisees once more. Afterward, he walked north toward Caesarea Philippi, and that's where the Lord asked the disciples this question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am. And their answer again in verse 19 is very interesting. 
Look at it. They answering said, John the Baptist. Some say Elias. And others that one of the old prophets is risen again. In other words, the disciples clearly want to tell Jesus some of the more flattering identities that are attributed to Christ. They said Elijah, John the Baptist, and the other Gospels they mentioned Jeremiah by name, but left out among all other names are the other popular opinions, such as blasphemer, false prophet, a madman. Basically, any identity that you can ascribe to any other person, the Lord Jesus received that even this early in his ministry. And beloved, that's one of the reasons why our Lord asked this question in the first place at this very time. Because not only was it critical early in the ministry, not only was it crucial for them to know exactly who Jesus was and is, it was also important to note other people's opinions. What did other people actually say and think? Their imputation of identity upon the person of Christ. It was both dangerous and deceitful. Let me put it this way. If someone decides to identify you this morning as a bigot, as a Nazi, as a fascist or misogynist or a hypocrite, Suppose the entire world, they took a poll, and after a year of multimedia of doing a hit job on you, and the consensus was that you, by a majority of vote, are an enemy of the people. You're un-American, an enemy of the state. It's just who you are, according to three out of five people in America. Is that, therefore, who you are? Is that necessarily what you are? I can tell you this much. Some of you were told from your earliest childhood that you were worthless, useless, unwanted, unable. And because of that false identity, 50 years later, you remain paralyzed by doubt and defeat and despair. It is a powerful lie, and Satan is the father of all lies. And he, more than anyone, loves to steal people's true identity. On many occasions, our Lord Jesus proved who he was with signs and with wonders. The Pharisees, however, told the people that he did those things as a child of Beelzebub. He can do these things because he's a child of Lucifer, the devil. They identified Christ as a demon. And a lot of people believed it. And later those people said, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. Now, folks, if the world got it wrong on his identity, you can mark it down. They're going to get it wrong on yours. The question is, who are you going to believe? And I say who this morning because just as surely as the world has identified Christ by their metric, you will also be called out by the same world. And just as much as the world has then and does now call out people, so has God himself. He has identified you if you're a child of God. Did you know that over 160 times in the New Testament, the New Testament, the Bible uses this identifier in Christ. I was reading the book of Romans yesterday and just in the last chapter, I counted nine times the Bible said that a believer is, quote, in Christ. A hundred and sixty times God reminds us in his word of who we are. We are in Christ. Folks, that's glorious. And apparently it's also necessary. Which brings us then to three lessons in this text. 
about the dangers of false identity. And conversely, the joy and the victory and the glory of having your true identity. The first thing I want you to notice, number one, about a false identity is that, number one, it doesn't matter who says it. Look again at verse 18, would you? It says, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. That means Jesus, as he often was, was alone praying, and they came up to him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? And they answered, said, answering said, John the Baptist. By the way, <clears throat> can we just go ahead and establish at the outset that for somebody to call Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, and remember Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man born among women. There was no greater. But for the disciples or anyone else to call Jesus John the Baptist was not a compliment to Jesus. When the disciples came and said, you know what, some people say that you're Jeremiah, Elijah, John is the examples, prophets. You understand that, that Jesus wasn't flattered by that. Nor are any of those identities worthy of Christ. Jesus wasn't Jeremiah. Jesus is Jeremiah's God. Jesus wasn't John the Baptist. Jesus is John the Baptist's Savior. John was the voice, but he was also a sinner. The Lord Jesus, John said, pointed at him and said, This is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. But know this again. We said, number one, it doesn't matter who says it. Well, who said that John the Baptist is Jesus and Jesus is John the Baptist? Well, a lot of people did. But you know, most important was among all of them was this guy in Matthew 14. You'll see it on the screen. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now, wait a minute. Remember, hear this carefully. Remember who Herod the Tetrarch was. According to the gospel record, this is the Herod who arrested John the Baptist. This is the same Herod who communed with John the Baptist regularly, many times, the Bible says, while he was in his prison. This is eventually the same John the Baptist he had beheaded, and he himself delivered the body of John to the disciples. You might say he was the greatest authority on all things John the Baptist in the first century. So he should know. I mean, if this man points the finger at someone and says, that person is John the Baptist, nobody is a bigger expert on John the Baptist than I am, and that's who that is. That would carry some weight. And of course, in addition to that point of expertise, remember who else this Herod was. His nickname was Antipas. It is a title. Sometimes the New Testament therefore calls him Herod the King. He was the son of Herod the Great. He had his own minted coin. Caesar Augustus put him on his throne. He was high and lifted up. He was educated in Rome. He was Jesus' ruler, Jesus' own leader in Galilee, including Nazareth and Capernaum. There he reigned for 42 years. His capital was built in the Sea of Galilee, and it was majestic. Jesus based his ministry in that very same place. In other words, he was a big shot. Powerful, wealthy, 
the authority, the ruler over Jesus and Joseph and Mary for almost all of their lives. Herod Antipas was the accredited secular expert on both Jesus of Nazareth and John the Baptist. Surely on the identity of these men and surely on the identity of, of the Lord Jesus, his opinion matters. And when he says decisively, this is John the Baptist, he's just risen from the dead. It means something, right? Actually, it doesn't mean anything. Not 50%, not 20%, not 0.001%. What this man said about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ or John the Baptist doesn't matter one whit. And you know why? Because he was wrong. And let me add that he was bound to be wrong. Just like, by the way, the rich, the powerful, the highly educated experts at Princeton Divinity School are wrong. Just like all of the accredited professors on PBS and NOVA are all wrong. But pastor, they have PhDs from Cambridge and Oxford, Stanford on New Testament studies, and they have these impressive British accents, and, and when you watch their documentaries, the Gregorian chants in the background, and we are not sure, and perhaps, and so on, crumpets and tea, oh, and all that, it just sounds so effective. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're all far less an expert on Jesus than Herod was, who was actually there, and Herod was dead wrong. Which again, is a reminder that it doesn't matter who says it. The pastor, it was my teacher who said it. It was my dad who told me this when I was little. It was some pastor. It was some psychiatrist. It doesn't matter who says it. The Lord said in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. No light. You know what no light means? It means absolute darkness. Total darkness. I remember back in the mid-90s. Louise and I went to a pastor's conference up north, and I didn't realize it was kind of a trendy, you know, kind of a, a emo conference for pastors. But I went unwittingly, and at this conference, they passed out those little badges that say, Hello, my name is. Except these badges said, hello, my name is, and there was a white spot, and then it said, and my superpower is, and there was another blank spot. Immediately I knew I was in the wrong conference. <clears throat> so I wanted to fly under the radar. I didn't want anybody to know me or find out that I was there, and so I put, hello, my name is Nunya, <laughs> and on superpower I put invisibility. And that was a big mistake. Because, you know, now everyone wants to know, oh, what, what, who are you, what, and who's in none your business? And before I could pull it off and toss it away, which I did, it was amazing how many people told me who I was. Oh, Nanya, I know who you are. You're Erwin Lutzer. I can tell you're him. And, you know, I looked at him and I thought, mm, I was 45 at the time. Do I look like 85-year-old Erwin Lutzer to you? One of, the, one of them said, hello, my name is John Smith, and my superpower is effective uh, networking or something like that. I whatever. Now, if your name's John Smith, why don't you put my superpower is making subs, amen? That would make more sense. <laughs> one guy came to me. He didn't know what Nunya meant. He said, Mr. Nunya, um, would you like to sit over here by me? Nunya. I said, needless to say, the badge didn't stay, and neither did I. That was all I had at that conference. But it reminded me of when I was in high school some. 
And now even then, teachers, my counselors, fellow students, they always wanted to ascribe some identity to me. Here's who I say you are. Here's what I say you are. My counselor in my senior year when I was getting ready to graduate, she literally told me what I should do, who I should be, where I should go to college, and I was wrong. At that time, I thought I'd be a missionary for wanting to sign up for missions. This mindset was bad then. But I have to tell for our young people, God bless them, because it's epidemic today. They're wanting to ascribe to you identities that are dead wrong. They're borderline evil. The first question included of incoming students right now in Harvard University, did you know this, is, quote, tell me your trauma. What letter are you on the alphabet? Where are you on the spectrum? What's your label? They want them to find an identity that they themselves have projected onto them. But young people, that's not good and that's not normal. And why would a believer in this room, why would a child of the light ever listen to someone in total darkness tell them who they are or who Christ is? We said, number one, it doesn't matter who says it. The second thing you'll notice, number two, it doesn't matter who believes it. Notice again the answer, would you? Verse 19. They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias or Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but it sounds like an awful lot of people believed an awful lot of things about Jesus that simply were not true. As a matter of fact, it sounds like the majority of the people identified Christ as what? A good teacher, a prophet, a healer. That's the consensus. Pastor, can a unanimous group be wrong? Yeah. Unanimous juries are wrong. The unanimous jury for OJ was wrong. A hundred million people. There's an old saying, consensus is not science. It's an obvious pillar of science. Somebody should tell that to the CDC and others. Consensus is not science. But can I tell you this? Consensus is not revelation either. Notice when the disciples answered Jesus' question that none of the people got it right. None of them. Some said this. Some said that, some said this and that, and others said something else entirely. What do they all have in common, folks? They were all wrong. So again, it doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter who believes it. His identity and your identity is never determined by other people. In fact, your identity isn't even determined by you. That's the lie of the world as well. It brings us to the third thing in the text. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter who believes it. Number three, it doesn't matter who receives it. Go to verse 18 again, would you? And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? And they answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. Others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He, Jesus, said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. Oh, awesome. The Apostle Peter got it right. Should have known he would get it right, first pope and all that, you know. 
Actually, folks, I'll just remind you that it was right after this that Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Some of the opinions that Peter had about Jesus and who he was and what he was going to do were more demonic than they were divine. So much for Peter being the only one who determines someone's identity. But pastor, he did identify Christ. He did determine who Jesus was. Did he? Can I remind you what Jesus said in the parallel gospels in this text? He said, blessed art thou, when he said you're the Christ, the son of the living God, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my Father which is in heaven. Even the fact that Peter got one thing right wasn't because Peter figured it out in his own heart. That statement by Jesus was a huge revelation. It was a declaration that somebody's identity never comes from flesh and blood. Jesus was Lord, and Jesus was Christ, not because Peter said he was, but because God said he was. Notice in our text, Luke chapter 9, verse 34. It says, While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered in the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. You see, folks, when God says that someone is a beloved Son, guess what? That matters, because that is your identity. It is one of the reasons why I have in my Bible that I got my freshman year in Bible college, I wrote 1 John 3, 1 and 2. It changed my life, that verse. I was about ready to quit college, quit the idea of going in the ministry. Being in that big school, 18 years of age, in that first winter in Chicago, and sitting out there, I thought to myself, I don't belong here. These people are way more spiritual than I am. And one morning, from the top of the end of the football field, up on the top of that little hill, I came to 1 John 3. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And then it said this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I had a shout and fit on that little hill. I said, I'm a son of the living God. What am I worried about? What am I looking for? Other than that, I am a child of the living God. John says it doesn't matter who says it, who believes it, or who receives it. The world did not know who Jesus was. They don't know who you are. But God does. And God says to every born-again believer, you're my child. In fact, the word he uses is you are beloved. God says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, John 1.12. God says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, the people of God. Five things in one verse identify who you are right now as a child of the living God. But pastor, my neighbor says, you should hear what my neighbor says. My boss says, my dad always said. The media says, the experts say. Who cares what they say? If you know what God says. My nephew a few years ago took the time and effort to find out who my dad's 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 dad was all the way back to the 11th century or the 16th century. 
And so he had this big printout thing, and I remember Rick sent it to me, and I looked at the actual birth records that he was able to copy from archives and so forth. And sure enough, there's Richard Blaylock, my dad, Walter Blaylock, his dad, George Washington Blaylock, his dad, and it kept going all the way back, and I saw John Blaylock fought and killed in the War of 1812. And then there was David Blaylock in North Carolina, born in 1757, veteran of the Revolutionary War, showed his pension from the war. And of course, dad, my dad was in the Army first, then the Air Force. My grandpa was in the Army. What does it all mean? Blaylocks are warmongers, I think is what it all means. <laughs> See, Pastor Blaylock, all that wonderful historical information of where you came from, did it, did it help you with your identity? Did it help determine who you are? No, not at all. Because I'm telling you, I found out who I was when I was 12. And I got saved and Jesus said, follow me. Verse 23, he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, lose your identity, and then take up your cross daily and follow me. Why? Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life, his identity, for my sake, the same shall save it and find it. Man, that's amazing. Christians find their identity when at last they love and they follow Jesus. A Christian is someone who's identified not by his own fingerprints, but by God's fingerprint. In Revelation 3, when Jesus addressed the church at Philadelphia, you may remember he said to those believers in verse 11, hold fast, hold fast that which thou hast, and let no man take thy crown. Remember that? This is a letter from Jesus to a church. And he said, hold fast that which you have. Don't let anybody take your crown. And then he says this. What crown? He says this. I will write upon him the name of God and the name of the city of God. And I will write upon him my new name. In other words, the crown identifies you as it does any prince or princess or king. And God is basically saying in that text, don't let anybody take your identity. They can't do it up there because it's written. So hold fast to it down here. The world knoweth you not because it knew him not. And what the world doesn't know is that you have already been crowned a child of the king. Not just any king, the king of glory. You see, folks, when you let other people identify you, it labels you, it limits you, and it leads you. When I was in high school living in Indian Town, I worked at W&W Lumber. And just down the road from there, my mom worked for a pharmacist, Dr. Yost. Oftentimes, I would stop in and say hi to my mom or maybe go in and run an errand or something like that. And I remember one day, it was my senior year, that towards the middle of my senior year, and I was struggling with whether or not I should go off to Bible college. My boss told me, no, stay here. We need you a couple years at least. It'd be good for you. We'll help you pay your way if you go. Should I stay in town? Or maybe I should join the Air Force and become a chaplain, you know, continue that warmonger uh, trait we have in our family. And the reason being is, as a senior, I spent my senior year all through high school 
junior year too, but really the senior year. Mostly eating alone in the cafeteria by myself. I mean, I carried a Bible to high school. I wasn't drinking and smoking with the rest of the class. I didn't go to the Bahamas with the senior trip. I didn't party with drugs and the concerts and even in sports, I tended to stay outside the circle of conformity and acceptance. So I had these doubts. And all these doubts were compounded with, with a lack of funds for school and a lot of people encouraging me to stay. I walked into that drugstore that day, Dr. Yost came over and he handed me a gift. It was a brand spanking new Thompson Study Chain Bible he had ordered for my graduation months before. And I thanked him. I took the Bible, I put it in Homer's pickup truck that I was driving, I opened it up. It's the same Bible, it's in my office, it's opened up on a little table. I've had it in my office for the past 36 years plus. But I opened it up and there was a verse that was noted, he had bookmarked, and it was Hebrews 2.11. He that sanctifieth and he who are sanctified are all of one for which cause Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I would declare thy name unto my brethren. I read that and man, it was like a thunderbolt. Brethren, God, the Lord Jesus is not ashamed to call me his own. Jesus is not ashamed that I belong to him. And I held that Bible and I thought, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. Whatever else I think I want to be or could be or this or that, I am a child of God. The town pharmacist didn't give me a copy of Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which was hugely popular that year. And he didn't circle one of his loony paragraphs, and it's loony. He gave me a Bible. And he gave me a reminder that Jesus is not ashamed of his people. Can I ask you this question this morning? What is your identity? I mean, really, just who are you? We've been talking about our, our college age, our high school grads, and maybe they graduate from college, and there's so many of them that are just kind of single, and they're living in life, and, and the ones who struggle are the ones who, they don't know who they are. The ones who flourish and are who are in church today and will probably be here tonight and Wednesday are the ones who know who they are. It doesn't matter who says it, it doesn't matter who believes it, it doesn't matter who receives it. All that matters is who knows it, and only God knows your true and eternal identity. And if you're a believer, on this Lord's Day morning, God wants you to know, not by flesh and blood, but by His word and promise, you are His own, accepted in the Beloved, and Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother and sister and servant and friend. He would admonish you. Don't let them take your crown. Hold fast that which you have, and what you have is who you are in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been a long time since I've done this. We have a mic here, blue. I need Danny, run up here. Danny, <laughs> I'm going to use Danny again real quick. Is this blue one on? All right, come here, Danny Diaz. Yeah, you, buddy. Oh, he hesitated. Come on, buddy. Right here. Stand right here next to me. Good kid. One of my favorites. Stand right there. Hold that mic for me, would you? I'm going to ask a couple questions. First of all, what's your name? Danny. How many of you don't know him personally? You never know him? Okay, most of you here. Okay, Danny. Danny Diaz. What's your superpower? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite hobby? 
sports. What's your favorite team? Warriors. What's your favorite player? Stephen Curry. Yeah, I know. What's your favorite food? Seafood. What is, mine too. If I see food, I eat it. <laughs> what is your future job? What do you want to be other than MBA? Let's take that out. Other than that, what do you want to do? Firefighter. Firefighter. Awesome. Danny, let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Yes. Do you pray to God? Yes. You talk to God, yes. the creator of the universe. Do you read the Bible? Yes. So God, the creator, the same God, the only God, he talks to you. So you talk to God. He talks to you. Have, have you accepted his son? Or are you his? So you're his child. So that means your name is written in heaven? I want you to think about this for a minute. If you didn't know anything about this young man, the last few things, who cares what his favorite food is, seafood, whatever. <laughs> Stephen Curry, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he talks to God, the creator of the universe. God talks to him through God's word. He talks for God. I've seen him do it. And his name is written in heaven. Danny, come here for a minute. This guy's unbelievable. I want you to sign my Bible, would you please? Not because you're going to be in the NBA, but because you're a child <laughs> of the living God. Danny Diaz is a blood-bought, redeemed child of the living God. Give him a hand. Amen. You can be seated, buddy. God bless you. You know what that is? That's an identity. There is no reason for that young man to go through high school, to graduate high school, to get out and say, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's no reason for any child of God to do anything except rejoice. When the disciples came back to Jesus and said, it's amazing. The demons are subject to us. Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not worth rejoicing over. That's not worth rejoicing over. That's what half of Christians in America, that's all they rejoice over. Demons are subject to us. We can heal. We can do this. Jesus said, no, that's not. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you're here today and you're lost, you have never accepted Jesus Christ. If you don't know any of this, I want to tell you that God has identified you. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never been born again, you have an identity. And God has identified you already. Enemy of the cross, alienated from God, and as we said a moment ago, lost. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's the identity. I'm not saying that's what some priest identifies you as. Or a preacher. That's what God says. But God says you can change that. God sent his son to die for your sins so that you can change that. So that your new identity, through a new birth, be son of the living God. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. I wonder who would say this morning, Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today, and I know my identity in Christ. I've been saved. My identity is the word Christian, child of God, born again. But as a Christian, as a saved person, I needed this reminder. I needed this message. The world wants to steal your identity. Satan wants to steal your identity. Pastor, I needed this message as a child of God with heads bowed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? I pray for you. Amen. Amen.
Perhaps you're here today, and I mentioned earlier, perhaps you don't know Christ as Savior. You've never been saved, born again. Could we pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you. They're at home. Pastor Blake, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I need to be sure, and I want to be sure. Would you just pray for me at this moment? Who would say that with heads bowed? No one's looking. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? Hold it up there till we see it. We're going to pray in a moment. All right. We're going to have a time of invitation as we do every week on Sundays here. And if God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice, would you? This altar is for God's people to do business. If it's a public decision, joining the church or baptism, Brother Andy's here at the front. You can speak with someone. Whatever God is speaking to you about, obey his voice. By all means, leave this place. See, here's the glory. When you know who you are in Christ, I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God, I'm on my way to heaven, my name's written in in heaven. When you know that, it doesn't make you prideful. It makes you humble and grateful. You don't have to look in the mirror and say, I am somebody. You look to heaven and say, he says, I'm his, and that's enough. Father, bless the invitation we committed into your hands, and we thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us, Father, that nobody who is flesh and blood can I truly identify who we are, but that you already have, and it is more than enough for all of eternity. I pray for our people, your people, Lord, who are here, that are saved, strengthen them. They've asked for prayer. Those who are not, Lord, convict them. Jesus said you must be born again. Bless this time, please, in Jesus' name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.